morning, everybody. Thank you, and thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I am so thankful to Jesus that you are here, but I have to be honest with you, I'm more thankful to Jesus that I'm able to be here because it's only because of him, because truth is, it's just too daggum hard to do this uh, in my own strength or own power. It is Jesus. It is hard to come and to worship God in the middle of our pain. Um, in fact, to be honest with you, for Terry and I and our family, Sunday has become the hardest day of the week. But as hard as it is to be here and to worship with you, there's no place else I'd rather be. And there's no people I'd rather be with than you, my Cedar Creek Church family. So thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience with allowing me and allowing our family to just walk this broken road and for loving us and walking it with you. So I guess what I'm saying is I love you and thank you. Thank you. So, all right. Enough of the sappy stuff. I promised myself today I would not cry. Finally, I would be able to get through a Sunday without crying. Two weeks ago, the last time I spoke, we were down here in the front row worshiping together as a family, and I was just weeping, just broken and weeping. And in that process, I lost my contact. It just, the tears washed it out. I didn't know that until I got up here and opened up my Bible, and it's like I could not see a thing. So I'm like, that's not going to happen today, but if it does, I brought some reading glasses with me. So, all right, let's jump in. Let's get to work in God's Word this morning. Now take out your message notes, and what you'll see is we are in week six of this series of messages called Free Indeed. And in this series, we're discovering the freedom that Christ gives us. For those of us who follow him, the Bible says, when Jesus sets you free, now you're free indeed. You're really free. And we figured out what that means is that the freedom is, of Christ is so much different and so much better than the freedom that this world offers. Because in this world, we find freedom to be the ability to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it, to say whatever I want to say whenever I want to say it, but we have discovered that is not true freedom. That is a trap, a prison of self-centeredness and self-obsession that leads nowhere. But the freedom that Christ offers is the freedom to be who God created us to be and to do the things that Christ created and called us to do. And that is true freedom. That's what it means to be free indeed. And so today, we're going to look at what I think might be one of the most important freedoms that Christ gives us, and that is the freedom to disagree well. The freedom to disagree with others without having to be disagreeable and I don't know if you're paying attention to what's going on in our nation but that skill has been completely lost in America today am I right I mean it is not if if you disagree with me 
You're not just a person with a different opinion. Or God forbid, if you vote different from me, you don't just have a different philosophy of politics. You are somebody that I should hate. You are somebody that I should try to destroy. You are somebody that I should attack when you're eating a meal in a restaurant with your family and scream at you. You are somebody that I should send pipe bombs to in the mail. And that is happening constantly. Last 72 hours, the hate in this nation has just bubbled over simply because we have different opinions or different viewpoints on those issues. And I'm going to just tell you, I don't know how we got here, but if something doesn't change, this country is going to be torn apart from the inside. Because we're so busy fighting with each other, we failed to recognize the true enemy outside. And everybody's like, amen, preach it, preacher. Tell them, yeah, all of this political hate and stuff. But we need to understand that same mindset has a way of trickling into the church, into our relationships with each other as members of the family of God. Because we will spend a ton of time and energy fighting over trivial, non-essential issues. We will fight at the drop of a hat over our personal preferences and as long as we're fighting each other we are failing to see our very real enemy who is daily destroying the lives of hurting and hopeless people not just on the streets of our cities but right here in our church family do you really think I mean do you really think that that hurting and hopeless person who stumbled into a campus of Cedar Creek Church this morning, do you really think they care what color the carpet is or what style of music we play? I mean, do you really think they care whether our theology is reformed or fundamental? Do you really think it matters to them where you stand on the, the gift of tongues or prophecy? No, it does not matter. And when we argue over the stuff that doesn't matter, it turns off and turns away the people who are desperate to meet Jesus. Let me tell you, when our second son Rick was born, he was born by way of a scheduled cesarean section. A scheduled section. Basically what that means is they tell you, come to the hospital on this day and we're going to do a C-section. Now for me, that was incredibly convenient. Wasn't that great for Terry, but I love that idea. You know, you can put it on the calendar. Won't mess with your golf game. Won't mess with college football. You can just do it whenever you want. And so that morning, we go in really early. They get Terry in the room. The nurses are doing everything. And the first doctor to come by is the obstetrician. And he's talking, and hey, it's going to go great. Guy's going to do it. You got any questions? Yeah. He leaves. Two minutes later, the anesthesiologist comes in. He's got the same thing. Man, we're, boy, we're going to do great. You're all going to be fine, very excited. Like, you know, we just felt this warm fuzzy from both doctors. Two minutes later, those same two doctors are standing outside the door of the hospital room, and they are fighting with each other over what time the procedure had been scheduled. I mean, they were arguing with one another. And let me just say, that don't give you a warm fuzzy inside when they're fixing to take your wife and deliver your child, right? Now listen, I would have understood it if they were debating 
over, you know, what medicines to use or something involved with the health of the child or the mother, but they're fighting over something as stupid as whose office messed up the schedule. And that's what happens when we as Christ followers fight with one another over things that truly don't matter. Now listen, please hear what I'm saying. I am not advocating a universalist theology. I'm not up here saying it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely. You know, all dogs go to heaven. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is in these non-essential issues of faith, in these things where the, the Bible nearly never clearly condemns or commands, in those things, we don't need to fight with one another. We need to give each other wide lanes of grace over the non-essential issues of our faith. See, I believe one of the greatest strengths of our church is our diversity. There's a tremendous amount of diversity at Cedar Creek Church. And I don't just mean racial diversity and economic diversity. I'm talking about diversity of thought. We got Democrats and Republicans worshiping together here, right? We got Tiger fans, Gamecock fans, and Bulldog fans worshiping together. That right there is a near-about miracle, right? We have people, a part of our family, who have very strong convictions about some things. And we have people who have a very strong sense of liberation and freedom in what they can and cannot do. We have huge diversity within our church. You know why that is? It's not just because we're a big church. It's by design. Because from day one, Cedar Creek Church was founded on one core principle, and that is on the essentials of the faith, we will have unity. On the non-essentials of the faith, we will have freedom. But in all things, we will show love. And I'm just telling you, if we don't work on that every day in our own hearts, that what's happening in our country is going to seep into our churches. And let me tell you, our communities are littered with hollowed-out churches who fought with each other to the death over the color of carpet and whether or not a person could speak in tongues or not. And it's devastating to the kingdom of God. So what I want to do this morning is to take this core value and let's dig down deep on it. Let's examine our own lives and how we can live out this freedom of disagreeing well. And to help us do that, we're going to be looking in the New Testament book of Romans, specifically Romans chapter 14. So while you're looking that up on your, your Bible app or looking it up in your Bible, let me give you a little bit of background. The early church in Rome was a very diverse church. Some of the Christians in that church had come out of a a strong Orthodox Jewish tradition. So they were really into rituals and behaviors. You could do this on this day. You could eat this. You couldn't. They brought that background with them. Some of the believers in that church had come out of the Roman pagan idol worship. And they had certain rituals and beliefs and things you could and couldn't do. 
And then some of the people in the church had never been in any kind of organized religion. So they just kind of were blank slates. And so what happens is the church began divide, to divide into two camps, two groups. One group that Paul referred to as the strong. These were the people who had tremendous liberty in their faith. Because Jesus had died for their sins, they didn't have to jump through a bunch of religious hoops. They didn't have to follow all these rules and regulations. They were free in their expression of faith in Christ. The other group that Paul referred to as the weak, these were the people who had very sensitive consciences. They had very deep convictions about what was right and wrong and what they could and could not do. And the two issues that seem to be the biggest problem is diet and the celebration of holidays. What it was okay to eat and not eat, you know, some were like, it's no problem eating meats, no big deal. You know, Jesus died, it don't matter if you eat meat. Some were like, no, you can't eat that meat, you can only eat vegetables. Some of them, you know, were like, these certain days, they're very holy, they're very special. You have to recognize those days. You can't work, there's things you can't do. You got to celebrate these feasts on these days. Some were like, no, every day is a gift from God, all days are holy because they're gifts from God. And so Paul weighs into this fight within the church. But Paul doesn't write a letter to tell them who's right and who's wrong. Paul is not trying to break the tie between these two groups within the church. Even though, by the way, Paul personally agreed more with the strong than the weak, he doesn't trump everybody. What he says is, here's what you got to do to get along. It's not about meat eaters not eating meat or people who celebrate holy days not celebrate. No, it is about learning to disagree well. Paul says, let me tell you how you can walk arm in arm when you don't see eye to eye. Three things Paul says. Number one, you got to learn to accept each other. You got to learn to accept each other other now that sounds really easy because most of us maybe not all but most of us in here would say oh I'm pretty accepting that they could come to my church or maybe they could go to a campus of my church I don't know if I really want to let them in my church but they're okay people like that can come and be a part of the church family but Paul says no you truly got to accept them you know what acceptance is Acceptance is seeing the value in a person even when you don't see value in their opinions or their actions. Let me say that again. Acceptance means seeing the value in a person even when you can't see value in their actions or opinions. See, unfortunately, we tend to hold our opinions as facts and other people's facts as just their opinion and the truth is most of the issues we fight over are based more on the emotion that we feel with our opinion rather than the truth of God's word notice what Paul says verse 1 accept into your group someone who is weak in faith in other words different from you and do not argue about opinions Circle the word opinions. The NIV translation says, do not quarrel over disputed matters. What are disputed matters? These are things that are not clearly condemned or commanded in God's word. 
There's a lot of freedom within our beliefs. Yes, we have core beliefs. We have beliefs that we anchor into, beliefs that unite us. But I'm going to tell you, the beliefs that, we, that hold us together is a lot smaller group of things than most of us think or want it to be. If you're new to Cedar Creek and you want to know, hey, what are those core beliefs? What are those essential, non-negotiable beliefs? They're on our website under the title, Our Beliefs. Check them out. You'll know these are the things that unite us. But there's so many ways that we can live out our faith differently. Those are those disputed matters. Paul says, stop arguing over that stuff. One of the things I love about the Bible is it doesn't just tell us what to do, but it often tells us how to do it. In verse 3, Paul gives us two ways to accept each other. Number one, don't label. Don't label people who have a different opinion than you do. First part of verse 3, Paul says, The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And one of the ways we treat each other with contempt is we slap labels on one another. Oh, she's just a liberal snowflake. Oh, he's just one of those basketful of deplorables. Oh, he's just an old school fundamentalist. Oh, she's just one of those crazy tongue-speaking charismatics. We love to slap labels on people who are different from us. And let me tell you something. When you label somebody, you are devaluing them as a person and focusing on their opinion on an issue. You're devaluing them. you got to value people, whatever their opinions, in order to be accepting. The second thing Paul says, don't judge. Don't judge. Second part of verse 3. Paul says, the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does. What does it mean to judge? Well, usually one of two things. One way that we judge others is that we hold them to a standard that we're not willing to hold ourselves to. That hypocritical judgment. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, quit getting bent out of shape about the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye when you got a big honking two-by-four sticking out of yours. That's hypocritical judgment. But listen, that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul's talking about a second kind of judgment, and that is placing ourselves in a a place of moral superiority to somebody else. That kind of judging. I'm better than them because I don't do this or I do this. We're playing God. And the Bible says only God can judge our brothers and sisters in Christ. We will all individually and independently stand before the judgment seat. Stop playing God because you're not qualified. Only God can judge your brothers and sisters in Christ. You know why only God can judge? Because only God has all the facts. You don't know their motive. You don't know their story. You don't know their struggle. Don't judge. Look, we're always going to disagree. If you and I agree on everything all the time, one of us is unnecessary. I'm pretty sure it's not me, so that means it's you. No. We're always going to disagree. But to disagree well, 
we have to accept each other. Do you have any close relationships with people who hold different convictions about their faith than you do? Do you have people close to you that live out freedoms that you're not free to live out? Are you willing to accept them and be in authentic relationship with them? Because that's the freedom that Christ gives us to disagree well. Secondly, Paul says not only we got to learn to accept each other, but we also got to learn how to accommodate each other. Mm, mm, now that's a whole nother level, right? Acceptance, yeah, they can come to church, and yeah, they'll probably squeak into heaven, so I accept them. But now we're talking about adapting. We're talking about changing our lives to make room for them within our family. But that's what Paul says, verse 13. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to what? What is that phrase? Live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Paul says disagreeing well is not just change your attitude about them, change your actions when you're around them. Don't just change the way you think about them, change the way you treat them. In other words, I must not do or not do things based on what I want, but based on what's best for them. So how do I accommodate? How do I change behaviors to accommodate people with different convictions and freedoms than I have? Two things, I think. One, don't intentionally do things that will cause them emotional pain. Don't do things when you know that it's going to hurt them emotionally. First part of verse 15. Paul says, if your brother or sister is distressed, emotional pain, because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do you see what he's saying there? He's saying the problem is not what you're doing. The problem is the impact it has on the people around you. See, in this early church in Rome, they had these different views on the diet. And it wasn't just that some ate meat and some only went to the salad bar. It's that they were taking their diet and clubbing each other over the head. They were rubbing it in each other's face. The meat eaters were, you know, barbecue sauce running down their face and like, you silly salad bar ain't really free. You think you can earn God's love by not eating meat? And the salad people were going, you stupid meat-eating pagans, you're never going to please God. And so they were using those differences to hurt one another emotionally. Don't do it. Don't do it. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying that you have to tiptoe through life always worried about whether or not you're going to defend some Christian who's around you. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying be aware that you are not an island, that you are a part of a family, and that what you do and don't do impacts the people around you. Be aware. Don't hurt people by your freedoms or your convictions. Secondly, Paul says you accommodate people when you don't cause them to stumble spiritually. Look at verse 21. Paul says, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine 
or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. That word fall there in some English translations is the word stumble and in some translations it's the phrase stumbling block. And it literally means to cause somebody to go back into an old way of life that was destructive. Don't do things that are going to trip them up with something they're struggling with. Best example I can give you on this is drinking alcohol. Because there are believers that have a strong conviction about not drinking. There are others who have a strong sense of freedom about nothing wrong with that. And it's clear that the, you can't make a case in Scripture that it is wrong to have a beer or a glass of wine. You just can't do it. People have been trying to do it for thousands of years. You cannot do it. There's nothing in the Bible that says it's wrong to drink alcohol. Now, the Bible says it's wrong to get drunk. And the Bible said it's wrong to allow anything, including alcohol, to have control over you other than the Holy Spirit. So we got different convictions on that and different freedoms on that. Well, if you're free to drink alcohol, do you really want to drink in front of a friend who's a recovering alcoholic? Do you really want to rub that in their face? Oh, you're free. Bible doesn't condemn it. But do you really want to use your freedom to cause a brother or sister to stumble? By the way, in case you're wondering, the reason we don't use wine in our communion when we celebrate the Lord's Supper is we have brothers and sisters in Christ who wake up every day struggling to say stay sober and we're going to flaunt our freedom in front of them i'm not saying churches that use wine are wrong i'm not, I'm not making that kind of statement i'm just saying we're not going to use that freedom or let's say you have a friend who has a strong conviction against alcohol they have a strong conviction against drinking alcohol they invite you over to dinner you're going to show up with a bottle of wine for yourself because you know they don't have any in the house paul said no accommodate each other don't let your convictions or your freedoms get in each other's way i love verse 19 i think this sums up what we're saying here let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification do things that build others up and stop doing things that tear each other down so question what freedom are you willing to lay down in order to live in peace with the people around you, with your brothers and sisters in Christ? What freedom are you willing to give up in order to help a struggling brother or sister grow closer to Jesus? To disagree well, we have to accept each other, we have to accommodate each other, and number three, we have to be willing to assert our freedoms in privacy. Assert your freedom in privacy. See, the problem is not that we have different convictions. The problem is we make a big, hairy, public deal about what our convictions are around others. We want to announce it. We want to make a big deal. And the only reason I can think of for doing that, for making a big deal out of our freedoms or convictions, is we are just trying to convince others to join our team. That's all we're trying to do. We're not trying to just live out our faith in freedom. No, we're trying to convert. We're trying to make them believe and think more like us. But look at what Paul says, verse 22. 
Whatever you believe about these things, these disputed matters, keep between yourself and God. Keep your convictions and keep your freedoms a part of your relationship with God and stop using them to mess up your relationships with others. Do you know why we have different convictions? Do you know why we have different beliefs on these non-essential issues? Because God created us uniquely. And he has a unique plan and purpose for each of us. And part of that design are the convictions he gives us through his Holy Spirit and the freedom he gives us through his Holy Spirit. Verse 6, Paul says, Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. It's about our relationship with God. Don't let it mess up your relationships with others. So here's my encouragement. Those deep convictions that you hold on these non-essential issues, those freedoms that you are so grateful for and that you live in, hold on to those tightly so they will draw you closer to God. But live with them lightly in your hands so that you can live in unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to close this morning with this last passage at the bottom of your outline. This is the goal of everything we've talked about today. This is why it's so important to disagree well. Romans 15, may God help you live in complete harmony with each other. Why? So that all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God. God gets the glory when we love each other well. I'm convinced, listen, I'm convinced beyond anything else that God is preparing to take our church to the next level of mission. I'm convinced God is, he's plowing the soil of the hearts of all of us to renew our passion and drive and desire to reach and connect and walk with the hurting. God is relighting the dim flame in this church to carry a message of hope to the people who are hopeless. I know that's what God wants to do. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know what it will look like. But I do know this journey starts with a deeper level of unity right here in the family. It starts with laying down our differences and loving one another well. And I desperately, I desperately want to see that happen in our church family. And I believe with all my heart, because I know you, Cedar Creek Church, that's what you desire as well. So let's just ask God to do it. I can't do it. You can't do it. We can't do it. Jesus can do it. He's the one who determines where his spirit gets poured out. Our job is to beg him to pour it out and be good stewards of it when he does. So let's just do that now. Let's just pray. Jesus, we need you. On our own, we are capable of nothing except pettiness and infighting. 
and elevating our personal preferences beyond the overwhelming mission. We need you. Father, pour out your spirit, not on this place, but on each of us. Because that renewed revival doesn't start inside a building. It starts when we step outside the doors. So God, move among your people. Teach us to be done with lesser things. Renew our passion. Renew our sense of calling to be about our Father's business. We need you, Jesus. Move among your people right now. In your name we pray. Amen.